We have this passage in Ecclesiastes we're, we're finding uh, on time. And this very well-known poem in the first eight verses that speak to the different seasons and the fact that uh, we go through life and things change. Uh, we, we are often fascinated with time. I, I know it's, it's certainly true as we think about uh, the movies or stories that often engage our imagination. Uh, many of them have to do with time, time travel or uh, gaining back time or getting more of it. Um, I, I think of one of the movies that is loved in our home is Interstellar. And there's a scene, it's one of the, these, I feel like just super emotional uh, scene that has the, the main characters, Matthew McConaughey and uh, Anne Hathaway's characters, they, they go to a, a planet where time runs differently and they get caught in this adventure, uh, things happen and they come back to the spaceship and years have passed when they've been on this planet for a, a few hours. And, and, and to think about and see the, the, the realities of what that might mean. It's, it's fascinating. It, it grips our uh, imagination. And, and part of that is because we would like to be able to work with time to change it. Maybe it's, what, what, you know, think about the things that you might want to do if you could travel in time. Maybe it's you would fix something that you did that you wish you hadn't done. Maybe, maybe you think about fixing something that somebody else did. Uh, maybe you think about going into the future so that you could prepare for it. Or, or maybe it's you know, just wanting to see and, and be interested in, in another time period, whether that's the past or the future. There, there are all kinds of places that our imaginations are going right now to think about what we would do if we could travel through time. The preacher here is... Uh, is sitting in the reality that that's not how it works. We're not actually able uh, to do that. That uh, we live in time, we are bound by time. We'll see that God is not, but we are, we live in that. And, and with that comes different seasons of, of life. And if you look at this list, and these are you know, often these opposites, starting in verse two, with a time to be born and a time to die, uh, there are many here that might fall into the category that we'll call the delights and the disquiets, those things that are discomforting, disquieting in our life. Some of them might feel a little bit more neutral, but uh, there are certainly those that, uh, that carry this idea of some being things that we would delight in and some that we would find disquieting. And as we enter into life, to, to be reminded and aware that things do change uh, is is a, a maximum. This too shall pass. You maybe have heard this phrase that is, is really used in many different cultures uh, that we are reminded that things do change, that time goes on, that it won't always be just like it is. And sometimes that brings us great hope. I think what we'll find here is it's not quite enough, but that is the first point, that there's a season for everything. And then the second point will be that uh, it's the same point that the preacher here, that's who is speaking, the preacher, maybe Solomon, it's Solomon-like character at least, uh, that the preacher is, is saying that everything is vanity. Uh, so there's a season for everything, and then be encouraged, everything is vanity. So let me pray and we'll, we'll take a look. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that we would, in this short amount of time, uh, sit in the time that you have given us and created for us, that we might see it rightly and be encouraged. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
There is a season for everything. This poem in the first uh, eight verses, these delights and disquiets. Now, it's referred to in verse one as as seasons and everything there is a season. The reality is that oftentimes the seasons don't come as regularly or as known as we would like them to be. It's not winter, spring, summer, fall. We we don't actually know when we're going to move from one season to to the other. And they're often mixed together. But this is actually helpful for us. I think there, there's truth here, which is a, a reason that this is such a known poem. It's been turned into a song that maybe you've heard. Pete Seeger wrote a song uh, made famous by the birds, Turn, Turn, Turn. And it basically is these eight verses sung. Um, the, the, you, you have, it's likely, if you've been to many funerals, that you've been to a funeral, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, it doesn't matter, that has... Uh, read these eight verses as a part of the encouragement, uh, as a part of the hope that things uh, do change. And so if we're sitting in a moment of disquiet, of discomfort, of suffering even, we can be encouraged to know that there will be times of delight to come, that there will be a, a different season to come. And, and, and sometimes those it's, it's helpful to know that those actually will often be mixed together. Paul gets at this idea in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, as he's going through life, is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, is poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. That there is a reality often to the seasons being mixed together, the, the disquiets and the delights being mixed together. But that there is a season, there is a time for uh, each of these things. And maybe we think even particularly now of uh, the time that we're in. And we, we, we almost are struggling to even think about time. It's so different over this last year, right? What day is it? Um, what month is it? What year is it? All these kinds of questions that, that we're all asking. Um, we're, we're looking forward to that. There is this... Um, This time to uh, verse five, the second half of verse five, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. We are looking forward to that time to embrace after a year plus of not being able to embrace. Right. So we we particularly are feeling this desire for a new season. Um, And and we're reminded in this time of discomfort, of disquiet, that there is a time of of delight to come. But it's, it's not as simple, we'll see, it's not as simple as, okay, things will get better. This too shall pass. There's, there's more to it than that. It's, it's also help for us, helpful for us to note that in times of delight, in times of things going well, that we should actually expect that disquiet will come, that there will be a season for that, that things will be difficult in the future. And actually, if we look at Scripture, this is a promise. So let's not make the mistake that following Jesus puts us in continual delight and that it removes us from seasons of disquieting. In fact, not that long ago, we preached through 1 Peter that promises us struggle, that that is part of following Jesus, that there will be suffering as a part of this life. It's particularly important to remember that and know that and believe that in the midst of times of delight so that when the disquiet comes, it doesn't throw us for a loop. It will be difficult. It will be suffering by very definition. It will be disquieting, but that shouldn't surprise us. And that's important for us to know. I just 
this week, listened to a story of a young woman in her, which what is being called a deconstruction story. She deconstructs her faith. And a, and a significant part of that was when uh, there was something in her life that didn't happen in the way that she was expecting. And, and it seemed to be counter to what she thought had been promised by God. And if that's what she heard in the church where she was, she heard something that wasn't true. So she wasn't prepared when the time of disquiet, discomfort, suffering, whatever it might be, came. It's important for us to know that this is the way the world works. There's a season for everything. It's also helpful for us to know that there will be times for us to sit in it with other people. This is given to the people of God, not just to us as individuals. So there will be times to mourn, to weep. We do that with one another. You know, praying and joining with our Asian brothers and sisters in the disquiet that they're experiencing, the, 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 particularly the issues of feeling for the safety of their wives and, and daughters, as I've had conversations this week, as they just walk around and do life in New York City, like feeling that disquiet. There's a sense in which it's appropriate for us to join with them, to mourn and lament and weep with them. And, and, and we do that when our, our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ, they experience suffering in, in ways that we're not. We do this together. This is given for the people of God. It's also true that we also have the opportunity to rejoice with one another, to celebrate with one another. And it's appropriate to do that uh, as, as well. And there is, we're in wisdom literature, there's a wisdom in knowing when those times are, right? What are the times to rejoice? What are the times to mourn? We need wisdom to do that. This is absolutely beautiful poetry that the preacher gives us here to remind us of this truth of the seasons changing to prepare us for the reality of the way things are. There are times when we need to hear this too shall pass. There is encouragement and hope when we're at at that funeral and these words are proclaimed and we're reminded that that there is, is hope. We need to see that big picture, to have that perspective, to hope as we fight against injustice uh, in the world, as we fight to make things better, that there is hope to see new seasons. But but let's then recognize, as these verses are read, if you heard it at a funeral, it probably ended with verse 8. Because I think what's happening here is the preacher is actually setting something else up. He's It's not, essentially, let's just say that the first eight verses are not enough. To say that things are going to get better, there's a different time. It's not enough. Verse 9, oft-repeated theme that the preacher has throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. What gain, gain is this ultimate benefit to us, this ultimate and final benefit. What gain has the worker from his toil? It's all vanity. I mean, he hits at this uh, already some in verse 19 and this passage, but he hits at it all over. Even this idea of work being vanity. And vanity, we remember, is this Greek word hebel, which is, which is a mist. It's a vapor. Uh, it, it doesn't last. It's very short-lived. You know, we are forced to think about that as we recognize all of the people that have lived between the time the preacher wrote this thousands of years ago and now, right? Life is a vapor. It's it's a mist. It is is vanity. And he goes on to note that in the midst of this, oh, yes, the seasons will change, and yet we don't understand what's happening. 
We, we don't know what, what is happening in the world. We don't have the full understanding of the way things work, whether it's the seasons or just life in general in, in the way that it, that it works. This poem is woefully inadequate on its own. It, it, does, it, it, does, it gives us some perspective, but it's, it's not enough. Because at the funerals at which this poem is read, the reality is, Christian, non-Christian, whoever we're talking about, there's somebody who is, who's dead. That's the reality that the preacher is getting at here. You, you may, if you have your, your Bible, this, this last section, verses 16 to the end, is labeled from dust to dust. He notes that uh, beast and man die. Verse 19, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. This is continually what the preacher is doing, right? It's this real, this real pick-me-up language that, that comes after this beautiful poem, Right? He's reminding us of the, the way that things are. And, and not only that, he, he, he's recognizing some of these things that are incredibly disquieting. That there is wickedness where there shouldn't be. Verse 16, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, where justice is supposed to be, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. We know this from history. We know this from our own lives. This is the, the reality of, of the way things are. Those that are supposed to be fighting for us, our, our leaders oftentimes, in, in those places there is wickedness. And, and this is not a claim of there's just complete wickedness in all of the leaders or in all of these places, but there is. Uh, it seeps in all kinds of places, in our politics, in our courts, in our churches. The wickedness creeps in. We need to be aware of that reality in the church, in our own hearts. There is, is wickedness. Places where there's supposed to be justice and righteousness as followers of Jesus Christ, there is, there is prejudice and there is uh, hate, there is impatience, there is rebellion against God, there is wickedness. There's a bigger problem than just the seasons changing and ultimately, again, it all gets to death. There's so much we don't understand. You, you may have wondered what's going on in verse, uh, verse 21. He asked, who, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? There's not a question for him of uh, does the spirit endure after for, for those created in the image of God, for human beings. Uh, he makes that clear throughout the book. Um, there's a question at that point of do beasts, do they go uh, to eternity or, or, or not? And he's saying, we don't know. This is just fitting with so much of what uh, the preacher says that we don't know. So in chapter 11, verse 5, he doesn't know how the spirit gets into the body. There's a lot of questions that he doesn't understand. And we see it happening here as we think about even the seasons and time changing. He doesn't fully understand it. And this is part of who we are as creatures that none of us will is what he makes clear. Verse 10, I have seen the, the busyness, I'm sorry, the business that, which is busyness that uh, oftentimes because we don't understand the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so like these really encouraging things, and then, oh, wait, what? Okay, eternity in man's heart. Everything is beautiful. This is great. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What he's saying here, 
to be clear, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, is things, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, you pursue wealth, you pursue work, you pursue pleasure. It doesn't make sense. It's all vanity. But he's also saying you pursue God. It still doesn't make sense. He's still calling for a trust in God, but he's saying there is a a recognition that it will not always make sense. We can't figure out what's going on. Even often, even if we're followers of him, we will not understand everything. And yet we find this great trust. We find him turning, even though he doesn't know. know, We think about uh, what we want, what we desire is uh, the end of interstellar, where it all kind of comes together and you see what was happening before and and it starts to make sense. And, oh, yeah, it's kind of coming together. We, we, We want that. And we want it now, right? It's a little bit more like the end of uh, Christopher Nolan is the director of Interstellar. He also uh, directed Tenet. And if you've seen that, it's like there are people moving forward through time and backward through time. And you, and you get to the end of that. And you go, oh, oh, wait, what? If you think about it more, it only gets more confusing. It's more like that, but it's actually more like being in the middle of Tenet where you have no idea what's happening. That, that's essentially what the preacher is saying life is often like. And yet... He gives us these beautiful promises that God is at work, that whatever God does, verse 14, endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Basically, God stands outside of time, and he's in control of all of it. He's the director of the whole thing. And it is true in verse 14 that he has made everything beautiful in its time, even when we don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense to us in the midst of those disquiets, the discomfort, the suffering. There is comfort in a God who makes all things beautiful. Part of that comfort comes right after he's noted that wickedness exists in verse 17. He notes judgment that is to come. God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. And it, it, judgment for him is not a, a problem. It's a hope. As we look around and see the injustice in the world, part of what the preacher is saying is we're, we're foolish, not foolish to fight for it and move toward it and hope for it, but that we're, we're foolish to think that it's going to be accomplished here and now. We're, we're all too wicked and sinful. There's too much wickedness in our own hearts that just sits there and and stays there. And we we root out one bit of wickedness and injustice and it pops up somewhere else. But here he's giving this ultimate hope, this ultimate promise that one day, ultimately, God will bring justice. That is his, his judgment. It will make all things right and we'll find ourselves with the new heavens and the new earth and Revelation 21, he comes and he'll wipe away every tear and there'll be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. That's the hope that the preacher is looking to here, even when he doesn't understand it now. David Gibson, who wrote the book that I've referred to a few times, Living Life Backwards, Living Life Backwards from the recognition that death will come for every one of us. He says that satisfaction lodges in my heart when I accept the boundaries of my creaturely existence and accept the seasons of my life is coming from his good and wise hands. We're the children trusting in our father, trusting 
as we do, our, we trust our parents built on their character. And sadly, there are those that that doesn't ring true for because you're, uh, you've had parents that don't have character and there have been issues, but you know what real character should be. You, you, you experience the, the pain of that because you know what a parent should be and do. And, and that's true for all parents, right? Like we, we every one of us, we make mistakes. Um, and, and yet there's a protection and love and care in the ideal for our kids. This is this picture of trusting in the parents, even when kids don't fully understand. We're trusting in our parent, our God, our father. And the beauty is that is there is judgment to come. And that can be scary for us because, again, there's wickedness in our own heart is that that judgment comes and it's poured out on Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate at the table here in a moment that judgment does come, but it passes over us because it was poured out on Jesus Christ. And that's where we find this hope. And we come and we look for that hope and we find comfort and we recognize that he's doing something beautiful as he made this decision, the one not bound by time, to enter the world bound by time and the mess that it brings and to experience the consequences of that himself. And that's hope. That's beautiful. That's the word, the Lord working this story for our good, even when it, each bit doesn't always make sense to us. We rejoice that the judgment that we deserve is poured out upon Jesus Christ, and so we come with hope. Hope, even when we don't understand the disquiet that is happening in our own lives or our own hearts, even when we don't understand the wickedness that we see around us in the places where it's not supposed to be. And, and yes, that brings us hope to actually fight for justice and righteousness and truth in those places to, to remove the wickedness, to empower us to do that, but to know that ultimate hope comes eternally. On the other side of death, it comes in Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. And so we look to him for our hope.